This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. We are working through the book of 1 Corinthians, and today we have landed on uh, chapter 12. We're going to talk about the purpose of spiritual gifts today. So if you uh, don't have a Bible, under the seat in front of you is a Bible. You could grab that and open up to page 558, if you would please, and you'll be able to track along with us as we just walk through this one verse at a time. Uh, And I'd recommend doing that so you could really track with uh, the passage. It'll help you uh, follow along. Let me make a couple of comments before we jump into this passage. First of all, uh, on the church calendar, uh, more liturgical churches that follow the church calendar throughout the year, today is the day of Pentecost, uh, the celebration of Pentecost, which it's not lost on us, the irony that we are hitting our series of, of the book on spiritual gifts on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the first church, when people were converted, when they heard the gospel, and uh, when spiritual gifts were given in a powerful way to the church in Acts chapter 2. So how appropriate that we are there. Secondly, I want to communicate that uh, for many of us in the church, this topic of spiritual gifts is a new one or a confusing one, or it's just something that you might have some questions about. Now, we're going to spend about five weeks going through chapter 12 through chapter 14. So we're going to spend quite a bit of time on it. But what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to actually do a question and answer time after the second service for the next five weeks, starting today. It'll be brief. We're not going to stick around all afternoon. But at 12.30, when the service is over, I'll just come down here, and if you'd like to hang around, uh, we'll do a question and answer time. You can stick around and ask a live question. You can also text in a question. So uh, we've never done this before, kind of done after after sermon Q&A, so it's, it's new for us. But we thought, given the topic, people have questions, let's do that. So this is the number, 469-573-2920. That'll go to my phone. It's not my actual phone number. It's forwarded to my phone. But you can text in a question or pizza delivery or whatever I can do for you. Just text that in. And uh, let's leave that up a minute if we could, please. So you could write that down. Even during the sermon uh, on your phone, you feel free to do that. I'd recommend not being on Facebook or whatever. But if you can just text in uh, a question, you're welcome to do so. Or just come ask it live. So let's, let's read the text, 1 Corinthians 12. Um, and let's listen. This is God's word. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And when we read about your Spirit working in your church, giving gifts... Lord, some of this we may understand, some we may not, but here's one thing we do understand. We need you. And so we pray that you would instruct us through your word, that you would teach us your word, that you would uh, guide and direct us along your path, that we would submit ourselves to the scripture. Pray that we would lay aside our prejudices and presuppositions and we would just submit ourselves to your word and, and be taught and informed by your word. And we pray that you would just help us. Lord, each of us needs your Holy Spirit's power to, to follow you, to walk with you, and to use the gifts that you've given us. So, Lord, we're asking for help. 
help and we're confident that you will help us, Lord. We pray the vision of a unified church where each one uses his or her gifts to build the church. We pray this vision would be a reality in our fellowship at Grace Church. Lord, please fill me with your spirit that I might uh, communicate this word with truth and power and give us all ears to hear what you're saying to us and responsive hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to read you an illustration that I think kind of places where this, uh, where the Corinthians are and sort of helps us understand how Paul is addressing spiritual gifts to them. And if you are a musician, perhaps you will be able to relate to this. I think we all can, but if you're a musician, it may hit home even more. The author writes, one of the most exciting experiences of my teenage years was playing in an orchestra at school. I had learned the piano for a year or two, but you normally play that without other magi- musicians joining in. Now I began to play the trombone. Of course, when you start an instrument, you learn to play and practice by yourself. You make your mistakes and try out scales, arpeggios, and small solo pieces in private. But then one day you get to sit with 40 or 50 others and discover that though you're all playing different instruments and most of you are playing different parts, it all fits together. And if everyone is doing what they should, it makes a wonderful combined sound. I quickly discovered there are class distinctions within an orchestra. Now remember, he's a trombone player. The strings consider themselves superior to all others. They are the senior section. They carry the tune in many classical works. Within the strings, the violins consider themselves superior. Ask anyone who plays the viola or double bass. But within the wind section, too, there are distinctions. The flutes and oboes consider themselves superior to the brass. And within the brass, the trumpets definitely regard themselves as superior to the trombones. The only form of animal life lower than a trombone, it seemed to me then, was the tuba, the triangle, or the timpani. (laughs) Shout out to any man or woman that can make a living playing the triangle, by the way, in an orchestra. That that is a gig. If you can get that, I'm sure it requires tremendous skill. And if you play triangle, you'll probably send me an email. This is probably very offensive, but... (laughs) I don't know. Ding, ding, ding. It just looks to me like that guy got it easy or that gal. Anyway, uh, that's the only thing lower than a trombone, he says, is a tuba, triangle, or timpani. All this is normally meant in good fun, but it does create a strange hierarchy among musicians. Sooner or later, as you work your way through the repertoire, the instruments have to acknowledge that they all need each other if the music is to be complete. The problem Paul now confronts in Corinth is that within the Christian orchestra, so to speak, there were some who considered themselves superior to others, and there was a danger as a result that the whole symphony might be played out of balance and even out of tune. Now, if you've been with us as we've gone through these months of studying uh, 1 Corinthians, you will recall that the Corinthians are not making beautiful music together. They are clashing, and it is an irritant to the ears to hear the sounds coming out of Corinth. They are a divided people where some think they are superior to others. They've divided up theologically. Some say, I'm of Apollos, I am of Paul, I am of Peter. They're divided in that way. They're divided with regard to their understanding of grace. Some are strong in their conscience. Some are weak in their conscience, and the strong don't care about loving the weak. They're divided socioeconomically such that the rich have plenty to eat at the Lord's Supper, and the poor go hungry. And now we're finding out that they are also divided in the next three chapters we will see they are also divided along the lines of the practice of spiritual gifts some are looking down upon others and when we get to chapter 14 we're going to see it's really those who speak in tongues 
that are looking down upon all the other gifts. And they are applying their gifts without any necessary guardrails that Paul is going to give them, without any sense of love for others. And that's why in the middle of chapters 12 through 14, 12 and 14 are all about spiritual gifts. But in the middle of it comes chapter 13, which is a chapter on love, because they are not experiencing what is most important which is love for one another. So in this section, what Paul begins to do is teach them the purpose of spiritual gifts. And here's what we're going to learn from these first 11 verses, is that spiritual gifts are given to glorify Jesus and to build his church. And when I say church, I don't mean building, but the people. Spiritual gifts are given to glorify Jesus and to build up the congregation, to, uh, Paul uses the word edify, to encourage and strengthen God's people. So we'll look at those two points, and we're just going to walk by, walk, uh, walk through verse by verse, going to look at every word of the passage. First of all, spiritual gifts are given to glorify Jesus. He begins with, now concerning spiritual gifts. He's used that language now concerning several times in the letter because he's turning to respond to questions that they've asked him. So now Paul is responding, you asked about spiritual gifts, I'm going to say some things. You may be sorry you asked, but I'm going to tell you some things about spiritual gifts because this is a corrective passage when we get to chapter 14 for sure. Um, He's answering them. He says, I do not want you to be uninformed. I do not want you to be uninformed. Some translations say ignorant. The Corinthians who practice spiritual gifts in abundance, we're going to find out, they would think of themselves as anything but ignorant or uninformed about spiritual gifts because they have many spiritual experiences. But, but Paul wants them to be informed. And more importantly, God loves them. Their church is a mess. But God loves them enough to lovingly, and in this section I would say gently correct them, to help them to see how they are to use the spiritual gifts in the church. God loves them enough that he does not want them to remain uninformed about the nature and the purpose of gifts. And the truth is, he does not want us to be uninformed either. He does not want us to be uninformed either. Now, I realize we have people in our church with all kinds of viewpoints and experiences with regard to spiritual gifts. Some of us are new, and we don't really have much of an idea about what spiritual gifts are. Matter of fact, you're thinking there, would you like tell me what you're talking about? I don't even know so far what you're speaking about. And so if that's you, it's, you'd be in the category of just not really knowing that much about it. It's a new concept. And we're so glad that you're here to be studying with us through and learning about this together. There are others of us who are hesitant on the topic, maybe a bit nervous about the topic, Uh, maybe even fearful of the topic of spiritual gifts. And and you're thinking, wow, I've kind of liked this church. I'm new to the church. I like it. Maybe I really like it. And I'm just hoping the church isn't fixing to go crazy on me as we're talking about spiritual gifts because I was in up until this point. Now, please don't get whack on me and go, go crazy in your spiritual gift stuff. So some of us could be even a little bit nervous about that. Some of us have had a bad experience with spiritual gifts. You were in a meeting a church gathering, a camp, a retreat. Uh, You were in some context where you had a bad experience, where someone pressured you, or you felt manipulated, like they wanted you to have this spiritual experience. They were expecting you to to speak in tongues or something, or expecting you to be uh, filled with the Spirit. Or or maybe they were praying for healing. We just read about healing, right? Maybe they were praying for healing, and and you were left with the impression that you you were sick because you didn't have enough faith, or something like that, which is not biblically true. But, but you, were, you were pressured and manipulated. And when you didn't have the experience that these really spiritual people thought you should have, then you sort of felt judged. And you're like, man, I don't want any part of any of that stuff again. Maybe you have seen some things on TV. Maybe you've seen weird stuff on TV with somebody doing some kind of healing or something. And you've said, wow. No, thanks. I don't want to be part of that. There are other people who are thinking, I have just been waiting for us to get to this chapter. I am so into this that, that I, I just, you know, I've sort of endured 11 chapters of hearing you teach about Corinthians so that we could get to the good stuff. 
the real stuff, the spiritual stuff. And now we're there and I couldn't be more excited. So there are some who are going, they're nervous don't even, or don't know what it is, fearful of spiritual gifts. There's some on the other side that say, I am so in, it's about time we got here. And then many of us are somewhere in between on that spectrum, open, but maybe cautious, open because we believe the word of God. And if it's in the scripture, I'm in, but cautious because it's a mysterious topic. I don't quite understand it. Or maybe I've heard some strange things or had a strange experience. But wherever we are, we're wise to all read this first verse before we get through the next three chapters. I do not want you to be uninformed. Can we all posture ourselves as those who need to be informed? I don't care if you've written a book on spiritual gifts. Every one of us has something to learn. We have something to learn about the doctrine of spiritual gifts. We have something to grow in the experience of spiritual gifts as well. And the beauty of this is there are a lot of new folks in our church, and we can learn about this and grow together as a family. I think that is the beauty, the beauty about this. Even if we are not all on the same page currently in our understanding or our experience or our history or our practice, we can learn together if we all posture ourselves as those who need to be informed, we can learn together and grow together as a family. Because see, the Corinthians had spiritual gifts, but they didn't have family. The Corinthians had spiritual gifts, but they didn't have together. They didn't have grow together. And so let's be those who are growing and learning together. So I'm really anticipating these next chapters together to see what God's gonna do. So you pray and see how the Lord will build us together as we study and learn in the practice of spiritual gifts. So he does not want them to be uninformed uh, about spiritual gifts, he says. Now it's interesting if you'll see the word translated spiritual gifts in verse one, and if you have an ESV Bible, have a little note by it. And then if you go to verse four, it says, now there are varieties of gifts. And those two words, gifts and spiritual gifts are different words. The word in verse four uh, has at its root the word grace. It's the word charisma, where we are charismata rather, where we get the word charismatic. And so he is saying that, that now there are varieties of charismata. There are varieties of gifts in verse four, but verse one, grace, which is the root of that word in verse four, that word is grace gifts. It means to make grace concrete. It means something that the Lord gives in verse one. It doesn't mean that now concerning spiritual gifts. It's literally now concerning spiritual things or spiritual people. Most translations translate it spiritual gifts because given the context, that's clearly what he's talking about. But he's saying something broader than that. He's saying in the beginning, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual things. I want you to understand spiritual things. Why? Because they came from a background, verse two, as pagans. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. So they were they came from a pagan background. We've talked about that a lot in this book. They would gather at pagan temples. They would worship before pagan idols. And you know what? In paganism, there were spiritual experiences. So the idea of someone giving an inspired speech, a prophecy even, uh, would not be unusual from their background. People would do that in pagan environments or all kinds of spiritual experiences. And there is now in all kinds of pagan religions, healings and all kinds of experiences. So they had been from a pagan background, but he wants them to know it's not the experience itself that determines whether it's real or not. It's the content of the experience. And so he says, verse three, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. Now, are people in Corinth standing up and cursing Jesus as Christians? No, I don't think that's what's happening. But he's using an extreme example to say, no one's standing up like in your pagan background and speaking uh, something like this would ever say Jesus is accursed. He's saying someone could claim power and experience and curse Jesus. And that person, you would judge that experience by its content. That can't be the Holy Spirit. I don't care if they seem inspired. I don't care if their voice changed. I don't care if it seemed like, wow, that is some amazing demonstration. If they would curse Jesus, it's not a real experience. On the other hand, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. He's teaching them, let me tell you about spiritual things. You judge spiritual things, spiritual people, spiritual gifts. You judge them by their content. 
Because you could have the same experience and someone could curse Jesus and that's not of the Lord. But you could have the same experience and someone could say Jesus is Lord and that is the Holy Spirit. Now he doesn't mean to literally say the words. You could find someone who's not a Christian and say, repeat after me, Jesus is Lord. Hey, no one can say that except in the Holy Spirit. That was the Holy Spirit. No, that, that, he doesn't mean you can't say the words. He's saying, he doesn't say if you say the words... Jesus is Lord, that that's the Holy Spirit. He's saying, if you mean the words, no one can mean that Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. No one can really, from their heart, follow Jesus and confess Jesus as their Lord unless the Holy Spirit has given them new life. Think about that. For a Jew to say Jesus is Lord would be blasphemous. No Jew would say that. No Jew would say, I'm bending my knee to Jesus as Savior, or then they are a a believing Jew who believes in Christ at that point. No pagan in Paul's day would say Jesus is Lord, because that would be saying that all the other deities are not Lord. Jesus alone is Lord. Caesar is not Lord, which they were required to confess in the Roman Empire. They wouldn't say Caesar is Lord. They wouldn't say all the other gods. They would say Jesus is Lord. The only person that can say that is someone that has met Jesus and from the heart has submitted ourselves to him. He is ruling. He is reigning. He is God. And all spiritual gifts are to, be, uh, are to be examined with that criterion. All spiritual gifts are to say, does it glorify Jesus? Is, is an experience real or not? Is it, is it done through a person who is submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ? Spiritual gifts are given to point the church and to point unbelievers who would observe as well, to point people to Jesus Here's the key point. Spiritual gifts are to draw attention to the giver and not the gift. And in Corinth and in a lot of places today where spiritual gifts are abused, the attention goes to an individual with a gift. It does not go to Jesus. But when spiritual gifts are really used, be they, I'm going to use this term in quotes, be they spectacular or non-spectacular gifts, when someone is using a gift to serve the church, then the, the, the view should be that that is God at work, that Jesus is Lord here. And we don't make much about the person, but we make much about the giver of the gift. They point to Christ. That's a true mark of the spirit. It points to Christ. The Holy Spirit will always point to Jesus. He will never elevate an individual to be idolized, he will always elevate Jesus to be worshiped. So that's where we start. That is a solid place. That's where Paul starts. That's a safe place that does, are we elevating Christ? Spiritual gifts are given to glorify Jesus. Number two, spiritual gifts are given to build the church. Uh, And that's starting in verses four through verse 11 that we read. God tells us that his gifts demonstrate the church's diversity. Look at what he says in verse 4. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. What is the problem at Corinth? What is the first thing he tells them? Uh, aside from emphasizing Jesus' lordship, what's the next thing he tells them? Variety, variety, Variety. He says it three times in that verse. That's his first teaching here, is that there are varieties of gifts. The, the Corinthians do not do variety well. They're enamored with speaking in tongues. And so it's not a multi-gifted church. It's not a beautiful symphony where the woodwinds love the strings and the strings need the brass, etc. It's not a beautiful symphony. And and, and it is elevating some who think they are better. And so he says, variety, 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 variety of gifts. We've already said that's something that the Lord bestows, an an ability, a gift that he bestows to build this church. There are varieties of service. Spiritual gifts are to serve other people, serve the church, build up the body of Christ. There are varieties of activities. It means when the, the Holy Spirit is active, an activity is where God is at active. God is active in us. So there are variety, variety, varieties, but it all comes from God. Look at verse four again, the same spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord that refers to the Lord Jesus. There are varieties of activities, but the same God, usually when God generically is spoken of in the Bible, it's referring to the father. So there are the varieties of gifts that come from the Holy Spirit 
The same Jesus and the same Father. There's a Trinitarian emphasis here. The Father, Son, and Spirit are building the church as the Spirit gives a variety of gifts to his people. The church best reflects God when we are unified around God, when we are unified around the gospel, and when we are diverse in our gifts diverse in our gifts. This is so important that we embrace all of the gifts of the Spirit. And we're going to run through here in just a minute other gift lists in the New Testament because we want to embrace all of God's gifts. We're going to value all of God's gifts. And that's what the next passage is about. We need all of God's gifts. So we'll talk about that next week. So the gifts are freely given and they're given for the purpose of demonstrating the, the diversity of the church in the unity of Christ. As Father, Son, and Spirit are one essence and three persons, so the church is diverse in function, but one in Christ. There's a couple other places where this word gift from verse four, meaning grace, meaning uh, something the Lord has given. There's two other places in the New Testament where that same word is used uh, to describe gifts. So one is Romans chapter 12. You might want to write these down, these references, if you're taking notes. So Romans 12 says, having gifts that differ according to the grace, there it is, given to us, let us, or rather gifts is the word, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So on that list, there's some gifts that didn't appear on the list in 1 Corinthians 12, weren't there? There was leadership, that's a gift. Giving, contribution, generosity, that's a gift. Um, Exhortation, uh, mercy, uh, expressing mercy, exhorting others. So there was was a a number of other gifts there that weren't in the list that we see here. So there's, there's some gifts. Another gift list is found in 1 Peter 4. This is a very short gift list. It's more like headings of gifts where it says each has received a gift. There it is again. Use as each has. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks, that's a gift, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So there's two gifts, whoever speaks and whoever serves. So he just takes all the gifts and probably puts them in two categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. So there are a variety of gifts um, mentioned in the scripture. And what we're going to do now is look at some of the gifts from this list. Actually, we're going to look at all the gifts and this list. It's not an exhaustive list as we just saw. What Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 is not exhaustive. What he's trying to do is he's trying to communicate variety. There's a variety of gifts. He's trying to say, here's, here's a sampling or for example, all of these gifts are part of the body of Christ. And he doesn't give definitions to them all. He will definitely define tongues and prophecy in chapter 14. But he doesn't define all of these here. So we're left a little bit to, to uh, well, we're, we're left to, to be able not to say a ton about all of these gifts because they're not defined. The first one he says, I'll do my best to, to explain however I can, the best I can. He says in verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So again, each person receives gifts. The purpose is the good of us all. The good of us all. When you use your gifts, we all benefit in the church. When you do what God's called you to do, we are all strengthened in the church. When you do that in love for the good of others, uh, I should say, in love. So he says, verse 8, for to one is given through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, the utterance of wisdom. You have now read everything the Bible says about the utterance of wisdom. That's it. That's it. So I should probably just move on to the next one, but I'm going to be tempted to give some explanation as best I can. The utterance of wisdom. I don't think it's talking about general wisdom. Now, certainly anything we know of God is a gift. Knowing Jesus is a gift. But 
I don't think it's talking about general wisdom that is acquired through study of the scripture, memorization of the scripture, applying the scripture, and experience in life. That is a wise person has knowledge from scripture, application in their life, and usually some experience to go along with it. So I don't think he's saying, hey, there's all kinds of gifts, like really wise people. He says rather an utterance of wisdom. An utterance is a message or some translations say a word of wisdom. And it is something that is given by God. So uh, it says, verse eight, for one is given through the spirit. So the spirit gives a message. The spirit gives a word and it's characterized by wisdom. Likely this is something where God gives something to someone that brings wisdom to people uh, in a certain situation. There's, there's an occasion or something where people need wisdom and God manifests himself by providing wisdom by something that is communicated, something that is shared or spoken or taught to them. H- have you ever uh, heard someone say something. Maybe you're experiencing a real difficult situation and you heard someone say something, they brought you something and you thought, wow, that was the Lord. That was the Lord speaking to me. Now, by that, you don't mean that they were speaking uh, on the level of scripture or something like that. The message of wisdom, the utterance of wisdom never replaces scripture. Nothing replaces scripture. No one is getting inerrant revelation today. All, only the scripture and only in the scripture do we hear the perfect voice of God without error. Only here are infallible messages or infallible teachings. I'm teaching right now. Only infallible is the scripture. No human speech is infallible unless the person's reading the very word of God. Okay. So it's not a replacement for scripture. Uh, but it does help us know how to apply scripture in a given situation. Uh, This is a particularly powerful gift in counseling. And as one person is edified or a group of people are edified, it's all ultimately for our common good. So sometimes in counseling, the Lord will give someone uh, a wise counsel, a word of wisdom, a message of wisdom to help someone to, 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 to open their understanding to something God is communicating to them. Uh, or even in prayer, it can be something in prayer where you're praying. Have you ever uh, had someone, you've ever prayed or prayed in a group setting, prayed and the Lord just gave wisdom as someone prayed. It was like, oh, that, what you prayed is exactly, that answered something I'm wrestling with, something that's perplexing. The Lord could give something like that, an impression that is given through a, um, a message of a word of counsel. And, and I would say even a, a prayer perhaps, God bringing a word of wisdom. Who doesn't need this? I mean, I need God's wisdom. I need, I have the scripture. There are times when I need the scripture applied in a particular situation that I don't get. We all need wisdom. The next one is the utterance of knowledge or the word of knowledge. This is the only mention of this gift as well. For the one is given the, uh, by, uh, through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. So this is the Holy Spirit giving knowledge. Now this doesn't mean someone who has just gone to school, has a PhD, and has acquired a lot of Bible knowledge. Uh, This is something the Spirit gives. This is something that the Lord gives to us so that we know something. Could be something that we would not know had the Lord not brought this to our minds. I've seen this work out kind of a, a message of knowledge where something could be shared that was helpful in ministering to the church. Sometimes this will happen. We, we uh, have prayer at eight o'clock before the first service. If you ever come to the first service, you're uh, welcomed to, um, you're welcome to come and pray with us uh, before, the, uh, before the service. But sometimes in there, there will be a, uh, just an Uh, an awareness that uh, the Lord's laid on someone's heart or the group's heart, that this is something he wants to do in our gathering, our service, that he wants us to pray for people who are suffering in a particular area. Maybe he wants to pray for those who are discouraged. And it's not something that was known by objective means. We didn't do a church survey 
and say, how many people are discouraged? Okay, 49% of the church, you know, is discouraged. So we should, based on, there'd be nothing wrong with that. That'd be great. But sometimes the Lord will just make us aware that something that he's going to do in us uh, through our church to build the church up. Um, I've had that happen even in speaking sometimes that the Lord will just bring something to mind I hadn't planned or hadn't thought. And someone will come to me after and say, wow, that was exactly what I needed. How did you know to say that? Or, well, I didn't, it wasn't in my notes. I just said it. So I think sometimes the Lord can do all that kind of uh, stuff to bring knowledge to bear. Um, Sometimes we just hear God speak loudly through that. So again, it's always in line with God's scripture. It's God's wisdom to people, God's wisdom in a situation, God making people aware of things uh, in prayer, um, God making people aware of things in communication and in sharing things that the Lord brings to mind, which builds up the people of God, which strengthens them. So that's my best, that's my best shot at the utterance of knowledge, the utterance of wisdom. The next is faith. It says to another faith. Now this isn't saving faith because if you're a Christian, you have saving faith. Every Christian has faith. So this is God giving something that is a specific gift of faith. I think perhaps it's trusting God's spirit enabling us to trust him in a particular circumstance or a particular situation where God gives us a an ability to trust him, to rely on him. One biblical example I've thought of that could be, I've I've wondered about, could be a biblical example of this, would be in, in Acts 3, when Peter and John are walking into the temple, and there's a guy there who's begging, he's been begging uh, he says he begs every day, I believe, at the gate, beautiful. And no telling how many times they walk past this guy as they went to pray at the temple. But they walk by him this day, and they say to him, instead of giving you gold or silver, which I don't have, this is what I have. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And God heals him. So what made it different? So obviously that's a miracle. That's a gift to heal. The Lord healed. Um, But what made it different than previous days, I've wondered? Why would you say today we're going to say this, but not yesterday or last week or when you saw him there a month ago? There are times when the Lord provokes a faith in us to trust him, to pray to him for something specifically that maybe we haven't before. Um, Where there is a sense of faith. That's not presumption. Uh, It's not positive thinking. It's not that they confessed it for 30 days in a row. And finally, it was manifest after they had said it enough times and they could have what they say. No, it was nothing like that. It was the Lord granting them faith. So this can be a very encouraging gift that the Lord gives at time. I think this is something that surfaces in prayer times as well, when the people of God are together praying. Have you ever been, this is just a subjective illustration. Have you ever been in a situation when you're in a group of people and they're praying and all of a sudden somebody prays, and I don't know how to describe it better than this, and the atmosphere of the prayer gathering just changes. Someone prays something and all of a sudden there is faith. Yes, we can trust God for this. Yes, the Lord. And all of a sudden you see the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God in a way that you hadn't. Maybe the prayer is just kind of moving along at a little bit of a mundane kind of prayer is never mundane. It's always glorious that we would talk to God, but sometimes it feels familiar and regular. And maybe somebody prays something in the meeting where all of a sudden, yes, I can trust God for that situation or that circumstance. Now, yes, that the Lord has granted a gift of faith to someone and we have all benefited from it. This is a key gift for leaders because leaders, if you lead in any kind of a way, part of leadership is looking at a current situation and being able to have a vision from the Lord that that situation from the scripture could be better. And this is what we could be. And this is between here and there. This is how we're going to get there. But it's seeing something. It's seeing the faithfulness of God. It's saying, here's where we're going and trusting the Lord. But it's through a gift of faith. It's not just like secular leadership culture or it's not just working up enough self-confidence. It's no, the Lord has granted us a confidence in him. I think there's times where, a few times where I've experienced that gift personally. Um, In the mid nineties, my wife and I uh, planted a church um, in, in San Diego and the church that sent us out, just one single lady came with us. We didn't have a team. And so it was a, it was going to plant a church without 
sort of people and resources and uh, it just never occurred strange to me at the time. Now, I, I just almost get a stomach ulcer thinking about it. I think we, we were crazy. You know how you think, hey, when we were young, we did foolish things. Well, I, that was nuts. What were we thinking? But the Lord, it just never even occurred strange to me. It's occurred, yes, the Lord's called us to do this. And yes, they're supporting us. No one's coming with us. But there's a, hey, you know, an applaud and attaboy in a prayer meeting. So, no, they helped us. But, uh, but uh, there was a sense of just, Lord, I'm confident you're going to do something. And I don't have that kind of faith regularly at all in my life. I don't have it now. But there was something unique with the Lord, I think, gave me a gift of faith for a difficult task that he was calling me to. Next is gifts of healing. Now, notice it says gifts of healing. In the original uh, text, it says gifts of healings, plural. It, it, is, it is God healing people, gifts of healings. It's not God making someone a healer. It doesn't say that someone is a faith healer. It says that God gives gifts, plural, of healings. I think that means that anybody could be used by God to pray for a sick person, and God, according to his will, could choose to grant a gift of healing and to heal that person. I think every Christian in the room, if the Lord gave that gift, he could use you for that. It's not one person who's the healer. Jesus is the one person who's the healer. And the Holy Spirit gives gifts of various gifts of healings to pray for the sick. Now, I want to make a couple comments about this. I hope will be helpful. First of all, God does not always heal. People die. Uh, God does not always heal. Uh, Secondly, we don't discount the use of like so-called natural means of healing, whether it would be medicine or an alternative method. So to say that we believe in praying for the sick and that God heals and that he gives gifts of healing is not a statement that we do not value uh, medical science and that we do not value uh, various alternative means that the Lord could use uh, as well uh, to heal people. So you heard what I said, right? I'm all for doctors. I'm all for uh, naturopaths or whatever, thus more of a natural approach. I'm all for both of those. Now, having said that, we should ask ourselves, are we praying as well? And I think we should ask ourselves, where do we go first? Is God first resort or last resort when all the other stuff doesn't work? I think that's challenging. One of the questions I've thought about is, why don't we see more healings? There's nothing in this text that says God doesn't heal today. Nothing. As a matter of fact, James says, go to the elders of the church, ask to be anointed with oil, and, and, and God will heal. Doesn't always, but the, 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 the scripture is clear that God can heal, and there's no reason to believe that he doesn't heal today. And I wonder why we don't see this more, and I w- wonder if it's because you have not because you ask not. I wonder how quick is we go to something else, which I'm not opposed to, but how quickly we go to other things and ignore going to the Lord. Do I ever call and ask for prayer? I mean, if it's a diagnosis that's terminal and the doctors can do nothing else, then we all pray. But should we be praying with desperation before that? And I think in the Western world, where we have all kinds of resources, we just don't tend to be as desperate as they are in many other places in the world. And when we live with a desperation, uh, we might see God work in in more radical ways in our midst. So I'm stirred that we be asking God, not demanding God, not claiming you must, but saying, Lord, you are good. You are compassionate. You are a healer. We're playing. Would you please bring healing here? We need to ask the Lord for that because he gives that gift. Next is the working of miracles. It says gifts of healing by the one spirit to another, the working of miracles. It literally is the working of powers. It's God's powerful intervention in a definitive way. That would obviously overlap with healing. If an instantaneous healing, I suppose we would call a miracle. Um, But another example in the Bible and a frequent one in the ministry of Jesus and a common one in Acts would be expelling demons from people. Now, he's just said that you 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 are from a pagan background. You know when you were pagans. So the Corinthians would gather prior to becoming Christians in pagan temples and chant and have sexual immorality with temple prostitutes 
and have spiritual experiences before idols so that Paul says a couple chapters earlier, when you do that, you are dining with demons. He said, when you went and had a meal in an, in a, in an idol temple, you are having fellowship with demons. So is it possible that those demons affected them? Um, and absolutely. So one, one miracle as well would be expelling demons in the name of Jesus, which is clearly a statement that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over the fallen powers in the world, the, the fallen demonic powers. Miracles also could be any time I believe God intervenes in the natural processes of life, intervenes in nature, and does something different for the glory of God and for the good of his people. Now, I can't say that I've seen God intervene in dramatic ways to, to, to you know, upset the natural process of things, to, to reverse nature, to, to supernaturally, above nature, in, intervene in some miraculous ways. But that does not stop me from believing that that's not still a verse. We must believe that that's not still true. We must, uh, we must believe what the scripture teaches, not what we've experienced or what we haven't experienced. And the reality is that in many places in the world today where the gospel is going forth in missions, where there is no gospel witness, and among unreached people, the gospel is going in, sometimes the reports are um, that, uh, that it's very much like the book of Acts, that when the gospel comes into a place where, there's, where God is unknown, where there's a plurality of deities worshiped by the people, that God often shows up in miraculous ways to demonstrate that he is greater than all of the other demonic powers, all the other gods in a culture to reveal the unique power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in some ways to demonstrate his power, thus that he might win a hearing among the people for the gospel. The message of the gospel is powerful on its own and has the power to grant new life. But God at times will accompany that with various means of miraculous works. So I wonder if that's why sometimes it happens more uh, in, in, in uh, mission context than it does here. I don't know, but I think we should be desperate and say, God, you are sovereign, you are Lord, you can do what you want. And when we need a miracle to ask the Lord to do that. Number six is distinguishing of spirits. What does that mean? Well, it means to tell the difference, to distinguish the ability to recognize the source of any supposed manifestation of the spirit. In Acts 16, uh, there is a slave girl who is a diviner. She's a fortune teller. And uh, she's following Paul around. And Paul discerns that she is demonized and casts the demon out of her. But he discerns there's something controlling this young gal and he acts in a powerful way. It could also be a gift of discerning uh, where the Holy Spirit is work, at work or how the Holy Spirit's at work, discerning God at work, distinguishing between spirits, between the Holy Spirit, who, at, where is he at work, and where is some other power at work. He next goes on and talks about prophecy, uh, speaking in various, uh, I'm sorry, uh, another various kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues. Uh, and to another, he says, prophecy as well. So that's all chapter 14. We'll cover that in chapter 14. All I'm going to say about it right now, because it is talked about in detail. All I'm going to say about it right now is that prophecy is communicating something that God gives to be communicated to build up the church. Chapter 14 says that it is for upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. So it's something spoken that builds up the people of God that God gives to be spoken. Uh, tongues is different. Tongues is not speech to people. Tongues is speech to God is what chapter 14 says, he who prays in a tongue, he who speaks in a tongue rather, speaks not to man, but to God. So it is a prayer to God. It is communication to God. It is praise to God. He is the recipient of tongues speech. A tongue is just a language. So it means speaking a language not known to the speaker uh, that is spoken to God. Uh, tongues is the Corinthian fave. It is their gift that they love and uh, notice where it is on the list. Last because he is making a very clear point here. There's all kinds of gifts. And by the way, the one you're enamored with, 
I'm mentioning it last on the list. So I know that probably prophecy, tongues, interpretation raises perhaps a lot of questions. We'll get to that in a few weeks because there's a lot about it in chapter 14. It concludes with all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So he's emphasizing the spirit gives a variety of gifts. He apportions them as he wills. He is sovereign. The gifts differ, but the source is the same and their purpose is the same to glorify Jesus. So when Someone uses a gift of administration, a gift of mercy, a gift of prophecy, a gift of praying for the sick and the Lord heals, uh, a gift of leadership, a gift of generosity, whatever the gift is, a gift of a message of knowledge, whatever the gift is, whenever that is used, it is to, to put Jesus on display as Lord and it is to build up the people of God. So let me give you some application. A lot of these, some of these are going to be very teaching oriented messages like I've done. We're just going to walk through it and try to understand it. Uh, but I try to give some explanation, uh, some application each time as well. So no, I want to say two things, be informed and be desirous. Chapter 12, verse one, be informed. I do not want you to be uninformed. So as we go through this passage, walk through this study all the month of June um, on Sunday mornings, I, I, I want to pray that we would each seek to embrace God's truth and to be informed. So be reading ahead and allow God's word to shape your perceptions, uh, to shatter your prejudices, to adjust your preferences so that we can say, Lord, we want what your word teaches. We want to understand and apply it about your purposes for the gifts to build your church. So one is let's be informed. Let's don't remain ignorant. Let's don't remain doctrinally ignorant. And let's don't remain experientially ignorant for anything the Lord has for us from his scripture. So we want doctrine and experience. We want to wed those two. We don't want intellectual understanding with no experience, and we don't want experience that's not tethered and chained to the scripture, springing from the scripture. So that's number one, be informed. Number two is be desirous. Look at chapter 14, verse one, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Earnestly desire, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. So as we're informed, what the Lord does is he begins to cultivate a heart to experience his gifts, to use his gifts, to see him glorified and to see the church built up together so that people with gifts aren't platformed, people in gifts aren't spotlighted, but the Lord Jesus Christ is spotlighted through the use of the gifts and the people are built up together. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So if you are new to all this, ask the Lord to teach you through the scripture. I, I, I was, as I've been praying, I've been sensing that as well, that there are some who have spiritual gifts that are dormant. You have used gifts in the past and they are dormant. And I think the Lord's wanting to fa want you to fan into flame. Uh, he's wanting to, to resurrect, so to speak, some gifts that are dormant that you've used in the past, but for whatever reason, they're just sort of benched right now. And he wants you and your gifts in the game, building his church together. So ask God to show you that. We'll talk about how to know your gifts in a future, uh, in a future message as well. But ask the Lord to be showing you what are your gifts to give you opportunity to step out and to use your gifts. So we're done now. Here's the homework. And uh, then uh, we're going to do a Q&A. Uh, each week after the second service on spiritual gifts. So I'm going to give homework. I'm going to send you out with a benediction that I'm walking down to the ground and anybody who wants to hang around, we'll do about a half hour Q and a uh, on this topic. We'll do that each time. So here we go. Here's your homework. Read through first Corinthians 12 through 14, read through these three chapters on a regular basis in the month of June. You know, maybe you could read it every day or you could read one chapter a day. If you read one chapter a day, then in three days, you'd have the whole section read. If you did that every day, then you'd read the whole section twice a week. You could do a lot worse than that. Okay. That's not bad. So, but let's begin to read in the month of June. You might add Romans 12. Remember that gift list, Romans 12, six through eight and first Peter four, 10 and 11. So Romans 12, six through eight, first Peter four, 10 and 11. Those are gift lists as well. So you could begin reading those, reading and praying that God would stir you, that he would inform you, that he would create desire, that he would use you and God would build us up as a church. God's not going to give us anything that's not going to glorify him and build the church. God's not going to give us anything that we don't need to follow him, but he will give us all that we need in the spirit through his word and through his gifts to build up the people of God. Let's pray. 
You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.